Hello everyone and welcome back to our podcast Raya Affairs. Before getting into some announcements, I wanted to introduce myself as your host for today. My name is Miro and I am a member of the project development team at Raya. I work for the Dutch Ministry of Education and I have a master's degree in European Studies. I have been with Raya for over a year and I have enjoyed recording the podcast so far. So today we are here for the third episode of our series Climate Leaders 101. In this five-episode series, of which we began last year, we will be analyzing the stakes, policies, and personalities of climate leaders around the world, with individuals ranging from Brazil to Kenya to Spain and other countries. As per usual, I'll give you a brief overview of RIA. It is an international think tank led by young professionals that translate the abstract world of international affairs by simplifying rather than generalizing. Raya is where you come to learn about the stories and the worries of political leaders, the behind the scenes of decision makers, and how politics impacts and changes your life. This is Raya Vers filling you in wherever you are. We're also like to make it clear that expressed opinions in this episode are welcome, even though they are not a direct reflection of Raya, as we specialize in unbiased writing and analysis. Over the next following weeks, we are dedicating our episodes to climate leaders in a collaboration between RIA, IE University, and the IE School of Politics, Economics, and Global Affairs. Over the summer, 10 IE students underwent weeks of RIA training, familiarizing themselves with the RIA methodology, where they place the individual decision maker at the center of analysis. The same students also attended other research-related seminars held by RIA, featuring alumni working in EU climate policy at the EU Commission, working with climate migration, and an external youth climate activist. Given all of this, each of the five climate leader reports will be published once a week on the RIA website. This week, we'll be moving on from Mohammed bin Salman Al Saud, known by his initials MBS the Crown Prince and Prime Minister of Saudi Arabia, who has been interested in climate policies in order to safeguard his nation. Today, we continue with another political figure, Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, who we refer to as Lula in this episode. Throughout the episode, we will find out whether Lula also has similar reasons to MBS for climate change policies. So with that in mind, let's kick it off. I would like to introduce our summer program interns for today, Lana Francella and Maxi Riep. Hi, Lana and Maxima, and welcome to Rai Affairs. Before we dive into the podcast, we would like to know more about you, the writers of today's article. Could you both tell us a bit about yourselves? Where are you from? What do you do? And why you were interested in joining the summer program? Hey everyone, it's Maxi. Um, I'm 20 years old and will enter my third year of my bachelor's in international relations here at IE. Uh, I'm from Munich, Germany, and my passions are uh, travel, food, and photography. I'm curious, pragmatic, and always seeking out creative solutions. Um, I am. I saw the Raya summer program as a unique opportunity to harness my research and communication skills, uh, allowing me to collaborate with Lana. And I was eager to learn more about climate leaders, especially in an ever-changing um, world we live in today. Hi, I am Lana, and it's a pleasure to join you guys. I am a second-year law and international relations student at IE. Um, I grew up in Canada, uh, where this interest for the summer research program uh, came from this 
opportunity to be a part of climate change and that discussion. And after meeting Maxima and the rest of the team, I obviously knew I was in the right place to learn more and to be involved. Other than climate activism, international relations, and anything that has to do with school, I have a passion for learning languages and doing social media. So I actually host my own podcast, and it's nice to be the guest rather than the host. Oh, thank you guys for introducing yourselves. And it's so nice, Lana. So you have some practice already with the podcasts. Yeah, so let's get it on. (laughs) So now this next question, I tend to ask all of our guests on the podcast because I know they are passionate about international relations, as you guys just said, and because they never feel surprised or amaze me in their answers. So Lana and Maxi, what leader, dead or alive, who has impacted the world would you like the opportunity to have a conversation with if you could? Well, for me, choosing a single leader is a challenging task, given the plethora of impactful um, figures throughout history. However, if I had to select one, I would be eager to engage a conversation with Nelson Mandela. Um, His remarkable journey of resilience and unwavering commitment to justice not only transformed South Africa, but also inspired the world, offering um, invaluable lessons in diplomacy, leadership, and the power of forgiveness. Um, Yeah. Thank you, Maxi. And what about you, Lana? Which leader would you like to meet? Well, I've never really thought about it before, um, but more in terms, if we're not talking about like specific presidents, um, then just a political leader that I do think has brought a lot of change um, to our world that I'd actually really love to meet is Gloria Steinem. I think her impact on human rights, her behavior, her prevent her presence has taught us so much as women and there's so many qualities that I absolutely adore about her so she's always been a role model to me so having like a tea time with her would be absolutely fantastic nice guys that sounds amazing so um let's start off the episode with the topic of today so Maxi could you tell us who Lula is uh, where where he stands today and maybe a brief overview of his political journey Yes, well, Lula is a Brazilian politician who is the 39th and current president of Brazil, um, with two consecutive terms in office from 2003 to 2011, and a recent return to power in 2023. His reign as uh, president captures the trust of millions of Brazilians, and as a former factory worker, Lula in 1980 helped build a labor union movement into the Workers' Party. He steered Brazil towards becoming a key player on the world stage by establishing alliances with other developing economies and gaining reputation overseas. Um, Recognizing the urgency of the situation, Lula did place a very strong emphasis on addressing the crucial environmental concerns. Thank you, Maxi. Very interesting that he already started with the environmental concerns. So Brazil underwent a military dictatorship from 1964 to 1985 of which Lula lived through. So how did his experience during the dictatorship and the post-democratic era shape his leadership style? Um, well, indeed, Lula's formative years were marked by the authoritarian military rule that lasted from 1964 to 1985. Um, and during this period, Brazil faced widespread human rights abuses, censorship, and suppression of political dissent. Uh, Lula was a metal worker and became involved in union activities Um, advocating for workers' rights, even in the face of government repression. Um, Experiences like that fostered his commitment to democracy, social justice, and the empowerment of marginalized groups. Uh, Lula's rise as a prominent union leader began in the late 1970s, where he helped 
organized strikes and protests against oppressive labor conditions, becoming a voice for the working, working class. Um, also, his leadership uh, during strikes, negotiations, and the broader labor movement showcased his ability to mobilize and unite people around common causes. Um, also, his emphasis on workers' rights and inclusive economic policies became hallmarks of his leadership style as he transitioned into mainstream politics. And he therefore connected with the masses by addressing their concerns, um, championing social welfare programs and promising to uplift the lives of ordinary Brazilians. Thank you, Maxi. So before Lula became president, as you were mentioning uh, before his term in 2003, he was a union leader and founded the Workers' Party or PT Partido dos Trabalhadores, as you mentioned. So, Lana, maybe you could tell us a bit what happened between 2011 and 2023, the time uh, where Lula was no longer president. Like, maybe was he still active in the unions? Absolutely. So what ends up happening is even after leaving office, Lula continued to stay active in Brazilian politics. He was engaging in political discourse and he remained influential inside of the worker party still. So after when we see 2011 to 2016, uh, President Dilma Rousseff, uh, she was Lula's uh, successor. But then we get a little iffy after when Lula was charged with corruption in the Operation Car Wash. It was an incident in 2016 uh, and his political landscape and influence, it went through tremendous changes. He was accused of taking bribes, money laundering, corruption, and due to all of these accusations, he faced legal action. Um, in 2018, he was found guilty of these charges, then he was imprisoned. Lula intended to run for president again in 2018, but obviously that was not going to happen. His criminal conviction would hinder any of his political activity. Lula was freed from prison finally in November 2019, and it was a result of a revision in Brazil's legal interpretation of the sentence of imprisonment for criminal convictions. Then by March 2021, all charges would be dropped against Lula. And now, given that the charges have been overturned, he regained his political ability and once again had the right to run for president, which is the case for the 2022 elections, where Lula regained his spot as the president of Brazil. Well, thank you for your answers. And I think now we've heard quite some about Lula and especially how he got into politics. So now we want to move on to more uh, his climate initiatives. So Brazil is a country with six very distinct biomes and huge ecolo ecological importance because it is home to the Amazon rainforest. So Lana, could you tell us um, some of the environmental challenges that Brazil is facing and specifically describe what the Amazonian tipping point is for those of us who haven't yet read your research? My pleasure. So what ends up happening is Brazil currently is facing a dependence on the agricultural industry, which is the main contributor to its carbon emissions, and that accounts for over 70% of Brazil's emissions. So with all of this considerable economic reliance on this specific industry, um, Brazil's Lula is going to have to find financial sources to avoid reaching these tipping points while going against, well, one of Brazil's most influential industries. 
For that tipping point that we're talking about, Carlos Nore is the one who came up with it, and he's a well-known Brazilian climate scientist, and he finds that there are two tipping points that the Amazon is going to face if climate action is not taken seriously. So first would be a temperature increase of four degrees Celsius um, within the Amazon rainforest, and the latter is deforestation exceeding 40% of the forest area. Over the past 60 years, to kind of illustrate how this is going, is the rainforest has warmed about one degree Celsius and the total deforestation reaches about 20%. So they're getting to that point. Also, the Brazilian legal Amazon is a crucial heat source for the world's atmosphere because of its fertile rainfalls, which accounts for 15% of freshwater input in oceans. So that gets pretty important. And then we see that the severe droughts, deforestation and fires that all can like occur together and we've been seeing in the news for the past couple of years are deteriorous to Amazon's natural state. So in 2023, the forest loss has hit its highest numbers we've seen in a decade. And another factor as well to consider in the challenges that Lula is about to face getting into climate policy is there's a lot of illegal activity happening in the Amazon. Um, since the Brazil's mining activity on indigenous territories has increased by 625% between 2010 and 2011. So I hope that's a good little summary for you. Thank you so much. And deforestation is what you're telling us seems to be a great concern for Brazil. And it also has a huge impact on the population's future. So besides these climate-related challenges, are there any other motives for Brazilian politicians to focus on climate policies? Maybe does Lula have any specific drivers? Well, there's really no doubt that Lula's promises to avoid reaching these tipping points have other motivators. One we definitely see is that Lula, as Maximo was kind of talking about earlier, has this reputation that he wants to uphold and restore. And now that he's back in his presidential seat, he wants to reach that same popularity that he had. And that came from all his work in socioeconomic development um, that Brazil was able to see in its in his first two terms. This goal requires that he does have a transformation into a green economy. And with this kind of going back and forth with that socioeconomic development part has that potential to create 9.5 million jobs by 2030. So he'll need that financial support to do so. So we see that he's looking for a lot of international investment and that's where the external influences come into play. And his commitment to climate policies is to impress that Western world, um, to provide him more funding, which he can turn into jobs and social programs that will eventually and potentially um, give him a higher voting rate in the next elections. Thank you, Lana, and for elaborating on multiple of his motives. So Lula has maintained a pro-environment ethos during the eternity of his presidential campaign last year but he also holds this reputation at the world stage. So a particular instance of which you guys mentioned in your report is Lula's participation and speech at the COP27 summit in Egypt. Maxi, could you tell us how Lula's words and actions at this COP were met by other world leaders? Yes, of course. Um, I really enjoyed writing this part of the report. Um, during the speech, Lula vowed to end illegal deforestation in the Amazon rainforest and to make his country a leader in the global fight against climate change. Um, the states which come uh, six, the statements which come six weeks before Lula is set to take office signaled a departure from the policies of Jair Bolsonaro. 
Um, the speech had resonated with attendees and garnered international attention, solidifying his position as a prominent advocate for climate action. Um, Lula said that climate change would have the highest profile in his government, whereas upon his arrival, he received a superstar welcome at the COP27. And I could talk about this speech for a long time, but I'll end it with the fact that his speech marked a defining moment for himself, um, encapsulating his vision for a greener planet and a fair world. He emphasized the necessity of all nations working together to address the climate catastrophe in a way that echoed a call to action for global solidarity. <laughs> Um, and as Lula positions Brazil as a willing and active participant in international efforts, uh, he aims to demonstrate the country's commitment to uh, environmental protection and uh, its pivotal role in shaping a sustainable future. Thank you, Maxi. And uh, to follow kind of up on this, like in your report, you quote the COP27, so being Lula's defining moment as a climate leader. Um, could you maybe let us know what two or three changes like this moment captured in Lula's journey as a climate leader? Of course. So both Lana and I immediately believed that his defining moment was the COP27 speech. Um, Lula's defining moment captures three significant changes. Firstly, a tremendous shift in international attitudes and global governance. And secondly, a strengthened position and heightened motivation as a climate leader. Um, First, there has been a tremendous shift in international attitudes towards climate change and global governance. When looking back at the year 2004, specifically when the Kyoto Protocol was implemented, um, back then the implementation of environmental policies was not as important, conceivably due to a lack of awareness, economic concerns and a weak international agreement. And today, environmental policies are more important due to the increased awareness of the impacts of climate change, including the economic and social benefits. Um, second, Lula's position as a political leader. Um, in order to further his policy objectives and bring about significant change, the president will now need to navigate this complicated legislative environment with a lot of skill. Thank you, Maxi. And it seems like Lula's up for a challenge. So we now depart from looking at Lula as a person uh, and towards his actual policies. So Lana, could you Talk about Lula reviving the Amazon Fund, like how it tackles an environmental challenge and also how it relates back to his first presidency. The Amazon Fund is, is really something that has stuck with Lula and will continue to stuck with Lula during his new um, administration is because of the fact that this Amazon Fund is a clear player in Lula's uh, plans to gain that international investment that we were talking about in terms of like motivators for him, right? So during the second term of his presidency, um, we're going to see that he's creating this initiative, which becomes the mo world's most significant Red Plus project, which is a reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation project. The method of financial support that uh, the Amazon takes on as its form is a rewarding mechanism. So this is one that grants the Brazilian government foreign money in exchange for decrease in rates of deforestation in the Amazon. So therefore, they're going to start funneling these funds into conservation, scientific research, and a bunch of other programs that the Amazon fund is supporting. It contributes to establishing opportunities for marginalized populations as well, which like we're going back and forth again with these motivators. Um, it's going to foster this income generating 
enterprises through these activities that are encouraging technical instructing support and uh, assisting the communities, local producers, and obviously at the end of the day, the environment. Thank you, Lana. So it's been said that Lula is simply like re-implementing policies that come from his first presidency. Um, However, like what are the new means Lula is seeking to combat deforestation? So both internationally and nationally. Well, these new plans to combat deforestation does take obviously the same type of form. Sometimes it's obvious that it can be um, miscommunicated in that he's just kind of redoing what he did last time. But this plan uh, to combat deforestation includes also a transformation in the Brazilian tax system, which inflicts more expensive levies on the polluting sectors. And this would encourage that transition into a green economy. With the higher taxes, um, reducing taxes for other sectors sectors will also be in order. So as long as they're considered green activities, so we're talking electric um, automobiles, sustainable agribusiness, then those people will also have lower taxes um, to kind of balance out this new change. And we're also going to see that the difference from its first two terms, um, these environmental regulations are becoming increasingly stringent in various states and trading blocks, such as the European Union. So Lula is now pressured to take these actions against deforestation and implementing sustainable practices so that he can kind of get his feet uh, dipped into these waters. And by doing so, he can attract more investments from foreign businesses because he's prioritizing sustainable sourcing criteria and improving his trade relations and market access. Thank you, Lala, for explaining the difference. So as you guys know from your research, Lula has received wide criticism regarding the Amazon fund. Some are stating it is just a potential tool for continued corruption, of which, as you mentioned before, Lula is infamous for in Brazil, as he was part of the biggest corruption scandal in the country, which is called Operation Carwas, and was even imprisoned for 580 days out of a 12-year sentence. He and other powerful business leaders, politicians from his workers' party, and its political allies were accused of stealing billions of Brazilian rias in bribes and of of setting up a money laundering scheme, utilizing state-owned oil company Petrobras. How can such a corruption scandal affect his leadership and also what indication has Lula given to his critics? perhaps uh, through concrete impact and examples that the Amazon fund is achieving its goals? Could you guys answer that question? Well, I think that this could undermine his credibility and trustworthiness on the global stage. Um, International efforts to address climate change require cooperation um, and trust among nations and leaders. And if Lula's past involvement in corruption raises doubts about his integrity, it might hinder his ability to garner support and form alliances to address environmental challenges effectively. The scandal might divert uh, attention from his climate initiatives and shift the focus onto his controversial past. Critics and opponents could use the corruption allegations to discredit his environmental efforts, portraying them as a distraction or an attempt to rehabilitate his image. To just continue off of exactly what Maxima is talking about, we still see that conservative groups and even the Brazilian Central Bank are worried about Lula's possible financial mismanagement and additional prospects for corruption as a result of all of these environmental initiatives that are supposed to boost this foreign investment. 
It's not only about the corruption that kind of is worrying for everybody. It's also the fact that there was a lot of financial mismanagement in his last administration as well. So his high spending and that behavior from his last administration um, in terms of creating social welfare programs, um, this surfaces and these actors also become really concerned as well. Um, worries regarding the effective administration and deployment of these resources arise, obviously, from the possibility that the flood of foreign capital could serve as this um, seductive platform for a lot of financial wrongdoing and theft on Lula's behalf. So to make Brazil more desirable for potential investors, pursuing foreign investment may result in a looser environmental restriction or less rigorous um, supervision, compromising the integrity of the conservation and sustainability goals, um, which ended up happening actually in Lula's second term, uh, where he prioritized the agribusiness rather than his climate policies. So the steps adopted to eliminate corruption issues and guarantees um, that responsible and international investment management will specifically impact the uh, integrity of Lula's climate emissions, for sure. Thank you guys so much. So, um, Lana, what challenges exist for Lula and his plans to tackle deforestation with the agribusiness in Brazil? So how does Lula plan to navigate Brazil's large dependence on the agricultural sector? Well, unfortunately, to answer that question, I'm going to give you a little bit of numbers. So we're going to consider that the first quarter GDP of 2023 uh, figures released showed that the agribusiness sector is 18% larger than in the same period last year, just to demonstrate that the fact that this business alone is bringing in so much money for Brazil to kind of just say that we're going to end it all is really unrealistic. So we're also considering that it's using a deforestated area of roughly um, 750,000 kilometers square, and the gross uh, agricultural product of the Amazon constitutes 14.5% of Brazil's agricultural sector GDP. So at the end of the day, a crucial point of this movement is the focus towards moving towards products that would generate more profit with less uh, negative ecological impact. So for an example, we're talking a priority on uh, acai instead. That's just a product and uh, that we're looking at with similar products included, um, that these would create jobs that the agricultural sector needs, but also allow Brazil to move away from hazardous products and gain the export profits needed to then reinvest into socioeconomic development. The use also of a novel idea to create more high-value products, services, platforms for both existing markets and new ones, such as a high-tech innovation plan that views the Amazon as a global public good um, with a lot of biological assets, um, would also be able to lead into a green economy switching um, and influencing deforestation patterns. Wow, thank you. And as a follow-up on this... Uh, the mining industry in Brazil is also a powerful source of profit and of lobbying. So, Maxi, uh, what policy solutions has Lula implemented to tackle illegal mining in protected areas? Um, yes, well, to better protect these areas, Lula, for example, uh, intends to use technologies like satellite images uh, to track criminal activity and use comparative practices from the banking system with rural registration and others. 
The rural registry will become an asset to monitor forest management and aid land titles uh, regularization to increase its service. Also to ensure the activities halt, Lula will reinforce Brazil's federal po police and borders to regain control of the outlying Amazon regions. Thank you, Maxi. And so lastly, I just wanted to ask about Lula's stance toward indigenous people, especially those that are suffering from the illegal mining activities. So how has Lula protected them and how does this fit into the pro-climate narrative he holds? Okay, so regarding the impacts to the policy, there is a Ministry of Indigenous Peoples that has been implemented, including the identification of 13 indigenous territories to be protected by the state. Uh, this recognition of their territories as protected areas signals Lula's acknowledgement of the importance of preserving these lands for both uh, indigenous cultures and the broader environment. By safeguarding these territories, he aimed to curb illegal mining activities that can contribute to deforestation, environmental um, de degradation and climate change. Um, incorporating indigenous protections within his climate change narrative demonstrates Lula's holistic approach to environmental and social issues. Um, which uh, does look very good to the Western world that he is taking care of the indigenous people. Um, and by acknowledging the integral role of indigenous communities and preserving ecosystems and their unique insights into sustainable living, Lula's policies aim to create a more harmonious relationship between humans and nature while addressing climate concerns. Thank you so much, Maxi, for uh, elaborating on that. So today you guys have been giving us great insight into Lula And in conclusion to our discussion today, um, I'm going to ask you guys a question. So is Lula point blank a climate leader? Uh, yes, Lula can be considered a climate leader. Uh, his initiatives to protect indigenous territories, promote sustainable practices and advocate for environmental policies showcase his dedication to addressing climate change. So in short, these efforts contribute to his legacy as a leader who recognized the urgency of environmental challenges and took steps towards their resolution. I can't help but agree with Maxi, and this is because he displays that economic advancement can't come at the expense of the environment or the welfare of its people. So Lula understands this need for equitable development in the pursuit of global leadership on climate change. And this is to prevent uh, leaving the Brazilian people susceptible to the vulnerable effects of environmental deterioration. He doesn't forget also the current economic diversification of Brazil, so he always is going to intend to reshape the economy rather than to lose jobs and industries just to satisfy the international community's urgency for climate action. His determination is really to include everyone in the search for a sustainable future, and it's highlighted by his commitment to the idea of social inclusion and environmental justice. Thank you both so much for elaborating. So it already seems that we've come to the end of our discussion, but before we move on to our next segment, I wanted to know, so what do you believe are the three top takeaways our listeners should have in the process of research and analysis? So more specifically, can you relate it to what you have learned in your own process and how far you have come in analyzing individuals and the way they make their decisions? Yes, so we learned so much from this program. Uh, I found it especially interesting to learn more about Latin American policies, uh, expanding my knowledge on the field. And I'd say our top three honest takeaways would be first to always communicate with your team member. 
Um, this is super important when it comes to forming the entire structure and the writing of the actual report. Mm, second, finding great resources, uh, which makes it way easier to write. Uh, therefore, take your time throughout the researching process. And third is to have fun. It's an amazing program and therefore take your time and enjoy learning something new. Both Maxie and I learned so much from this experience and we, during the writing process, we constantly found ourselves dreading all the times we had to cut more information um, to meet word count. So the opportunity to specifically analyze Lula is significant to each of us because it was common for all the summer program members actually to want to reach out of that Western bubble and analyze uh, leaders who have a significant influence that are not just from Europe. Uh, we definitely learned uh, a lot escaping our Western biases, and we're trying to find a better understanding of Latin American politics, of course, especially as students, right? So learning more about Lula's life, his time and leadership positions made us realize how interconnected all of these experiences are to a leader's style of leadership, and especially when dealing with external factors. Now we will move to a new segment we like to call Two Sides, One Mic. For five minutes, we will read out opposing statements made about the leader and topic at hand, and our writers will discuss how these statements connect to the research they have done on their climate leader. Our goal is to look at what is currently being said by other individuals about the climate leader and their policy, and have our writers debate or comment on it using what they have found in their analysis. So in this case, recent news articles have focused on the EU's praise for Lula's return to leadership. Ursula von der Leyen even stated Lula's COP27 speech as inspirational, of which we talked about before, and added that the EU would donate 20 million euros to the Amazon fund. On the other side of the mic, Lula has pointed out that the EU has used environmental demands to leverage negotiations of the EU-Mercosur deal. This includes a series of pre-ratification requirements to comply with the Paris Agreement and protect biodiversity sent from the European Commission directly to the four countries making up the Mercosur group, which are Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay. So Lula has insisted his country does not need to prove its green credentials to Brussels. He points out that Brazil already obtains more than 80% of its electricity production from renewable sources rate that most European states still have a long way to go to attain. In his own words, he said, two strategic partners do not discuss threats, but proposals. So given these statements from both sides, our question is the following. What are Lula's views regarding the debate of climate responsibility between developed and developing nations? Would you say he places blame on developed nations or points to their hypocrisy today? So how does this stance impact Brazil's reputation? So please, each of you, uh, take your time to agree or disagree and build off each other's answers. Um, so when analyzing Lula's climate efforts, it's significant uh, to environmentalism, since Lula demonstrates the significance of climate accountability in the international system. Uh, Brazil holds the most Amazonian territory and Lula wants to contribute to its preservation but his intentions uh, for international investments, trades, and alliances push forward the South-South uh, collaboration while redirecting income from climate efforts 
to um, support rural and urban development in an economy that has unique struggles uh, compared to the developed states with the higher greenhouse gas emissions. Definitely just this conversation alone addresses the hypocrisy of the Western world. It addresses this factor that the West forgets that their society is actually built off of unsustainable industrialization, but now they're ready um, to point fingers because they have the financial resources they um, need to move away from those unsustainable sources. But this is unique to only to them, and they can't go around telling development nations that they harm the environment, even though this is what they were doing a couple years ago. Um, so what we see is that um, they are kind of pointing fingers again, and they're um, saying that these nations harm the environment and trying to get them to create a more sustainable economy based off of environmentalism is a bit hypocritical. So Lula actually brings light to these kind of gray areas in climate policy discussions because we tend to see that Western world is the leader in these discussions, but does not consider the unique situations, as Maximo was saying, of each economy and what's going on in their countries. Um, so this uh, potential that Lula sees to guide is that South-South collaboration and partnership. And at the end of the day, although one thing that I do want to bounce off of Maxima saying is the fact that uh, Lula is overstating and overestimating the willingness of Latin America or other developing nations to follow in his footsteps and kind of assert Brazil as this global representative for the region and for developing economies, especially in climate action. As this episode comes to an end, I wanted to briefly summarize what we have come to learn today. Lula, the president of Brazil, who used to be active in the unions. Um, we've learned about the reasons why Lula is implementing climate policies and the course he wants to go. He's trying to protect all Brazilians, including the indigenous people. And we also discussed how he's going to target the deforestation issues in Brazil and the problems illegal mining gives to the country. So the COP27 is seen as Lula's defining moment. Not only did it shift the international's attitude towards climate policies, it also strengthened Lula's position. And even though he has been a part of one of the biggest corruption scandals in Brazil, Lula does not stop trying to achieve his climate policies. Maxine Lana went into detail on Lula's outlooks and considered Lula to be a climate leader. It has really been a pleasure to have Maxi and Lana on Raya Affairs today and learning about Brazilian President Lula's approach to climate change policies. So thank you, Lana and Maxima, for taking your time and really engaging on today's episode. Um, in closing, I really want to express my gratitude for the opportunity to be part of this insightful podcast. Engaging in this conversation has been... Um, both enriching and thought-provoking, allowing uh, to share our perspectives. It was really great talking to you, especially having uh, given the opportunity to share our research with many of you guys. Um, thank you for having me on the podcast and thank you to the amazing Raya team. I enjoyed the time a lot. I really appreciate the opportunity as well um, to discuss these climate policies. And hopefully this conversation will allow for more people to follow along with Brazilian climate policy and what Lula will be up to in the next few years. So thank you so much for having us. For those of you who have enjoyed our discussion and want to read Lana and Maxima's report on Lula, click the link in the episode description or find their research on riagroup.org. And also make sure to follow us on Instagram, raya.now. It was a pleasure hosting this discussion today.
Goodbye, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. Have a great day in your sphere of influence.